and welcome to another episode of Basically Blind. I'm your host, Avery. This is a podcast where I share my experience living with a visual impairment slash blindness, um, as well as other disabilities, and also talk about topics around diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. Wow, I, I got it out. That I was a little touch and go there. Um, today has been one of those days. And, you know, nothing had really even happened at the beginning of the day, but it it was just like, you have that feeling in your bones that it's going to be a little rough. Like you're going to have a few curveballs thrown at you. And how, how did I know this day? Because I got up and I took a shower and I made the bed. And the act of making the bed just felt so laborious. Like it just was so hard and it made me really concerned for a minute because I've had issues with extreme fatigue and last week was nonstop for me. And so I was afraid maybe I went a little too hard and is this my body telling me I need to slow down again? You know, I I thought it could legitimately be something physically going on if I was feeling that tired and that burned out. Um, but I, I think it was more just like myself readying for the day. And it was just was, you know, one email after another again, like I said, curveballs thrown my way. You know, I, I got an email about some, some changes that might be occurring to one of the organizations that I'm involved with. And it was just not something that I was even remotely anticipating. Like I thought maybe that that was a conversation that may happen a year from now, but I didn't expect it to be now that we were talking that the potential next steps could be that like this group ceases to exist. Um, so that really caught me off guard and it was a bit of a bummer. I'm also working right now to coordinate being part of a video recording for an award that was won um, by the Junior League of Seattle. And it's it's being done from the international organization level. And it's uh it's just it's been a little stressful. Uh there's been you know, they reached out, I think like September 1st or something, being like, hey, do you wanna would you be willing to participate in this? And then it was like, yeah, sure. And then, and then after that, it was like, okay, we need to do a pre-interview and there's just a few days notice and trying to get that on the schedule, not only for me, but there was someone else who's doing it at the same time. So coordinating our schedules. And then that other person, like she keeps getting left off the emails, even though I gave them her info and there's just information that is falling through the cracks. And 
um, yeah, it's, <laughs> the recording will happen next week and then this will all be in the past, but right now it's a little stressful. Um, and I'm just also confused why it seems so jumbled too, because I'm just, I strive for the experience that I'm involved with, whether it is work or personal, that it runs smoothly for people. You know, I want everyone having a good user experience when I'm involved, whether it's an event I'm coordinating for work or whether it's for, you know, a bar crawl with friends or my wedding. Like I, I think of all the different pieces, like, okay, like what's going to be an easy point for people to be able to get here? Like, is there parking, you know, what's a realistic time frame to give people? And I feel like logistically people don't always ask enough questions and it's more of a, okay, well, we want to do this and just do it on our timeline. And it gets very frustrating. Um, and it just also, for me, I'm sitting here and I, I don't, I don't know anyone who's involved with this process personally, but you know, it, it is a little disorganized, but it's getting done. And I'm sure that the final product is going to be amazing, but I'm sitting here thinking, I feel like I could execute on this a little bit more organized of a fashion and the thing is, is that like, I have proven myself within the organization of junior league at this point, I tallied it up. It is shocking. This is my eighth year <laughs> of being involved with the organization. And, you know, I, I have a pretty solid track record. My first active year was not a great year. <laughs> I will say that I, I almost quit because it was just really rough. I had way too much going on both with like my responsibilities within the league. I just bit off way more than I could chew. And I had way more going on in my personal life too. I, within that, that league year, I had moved twice. I had switched jobs once I was at the same company new position I got engaged and got married within that time frame it was it was um it I would not advise anyone doing that same amount of stuff within that time frame and it was too much and I frankly did not feel very supported and so I almost left and so I took that experience though and I learned from it. And I made I made plenty of my own mistakes. I wasn't great about communicating out. Like I thought I had communicated and then people hadn't listened. And I just, I don't like repeating myself. And if I'm put in the position where I feel like I have to repeat myself enough times, I'll just stop talking. And I did that in that situation. I just was very done. And, um, you know, it's, I, I took from that though, the fact that, okay, my communication needs to be better moving forward. I need to set my boundaries. I need to stick to them. If people seem to be stepping over them, I need to politely, but firmly correct them. 
And I also took with me that feeling of just not feeling supported. And I've applied that to every single role I've had and been, I think at least very successful in those roles. And the thing for me is that when I, it makes me wonder, you know, like in a work environment, there is no expectation that people are going to be perfect. Sometimes employers will have those expectations and it's just setting everyone up for a fail. And that's, those are definitely jobs where people are more higher risk of burning out. But I, you know, there, there's this expectation that like you don't have to be perfect, but then it's just like, it's just chalked up to, well, no one's perfect and you leave it at that. But when you have a disability, there's this other layer to it because people don't automatically necessarily go to, well, nobody's perfect. You know, if, if you aren't executing on something well, or maybe you're executing on it, but it's just not the way someone else would have done it, preferably, a lot of times it seems like it gets traced back to the fact that you have a disability. You know, it's, oh, well, you know, she, she is blind. And sometimes my vision can impact whether I'm able to do something as easy as someone else or it's quickly. I would say that it doesn't usually, usually, unless it is legitimately like creating a graphic. <laughs> um, those are situations where, you know, as much as I try, I may not be able to create something that looks as good as someone who does have, you know, regular vision, what, um, what they could create. But there's always this thought of, oh, well, you know, she does have the disability. It, it, it's not chalked up to you just being a person. And this is my very clunky way of trying to make a transition from, you know, my fun and easy banter about with where I'm at and what's going on in my life right now into today's topic, which I have mentioned in previous podcasts. And I really thought I had done an entire podcast about this. And I was scrolling through previous episodes and realized, no, I, I had not. And that was a massive oversight on my part, no pun intended. And so let's talk about it. You know, what's ableism? This is a term that is new to some people. It's new to a lot of people when I bring it up to them. Uh, unless you're really in the world of kind of disability rights or social justice or DEIA, this is something that you probably don't you don't hear very often. Um, and you're sitting there being like, oh, great. It's another ism. Yeah, it, it's an ism. Like, exactly. Racism, sexism, ableism. You know, and ableism is the discrimination and social prejudice held against people with disabilities. It's the idea that a, a person with 
abilities that a regular level level is superior to someone who has some sort of a disability or a condition. And it's also this attitude that anyone who has a disability just needs to be fixed. And even when I say the word fixed, it just, it, like my, my chest tightens. Like it's, it's such an, an ugly way to look at things because I think that really like a lot of at the core, someone who has a disability, and this is speaking from my own experience, of course, I'm not speaking for all people with disabilities, but when someone has a disability, they kind of have two main fears. And one is that they're never going to be enough as they are. They're always afraid that people will see them as something or someone that needs to be fixed or pitied. And I think another big fear is just being a burden and being seen that way. I mean, no one wants that. Like no one wants to be seen that way. And it, it's a big reason that a lot of people, whether you have a disability or not, have a very difficult time asking for help. And it's a, it's a big reason why people who have invisible disabilities that can go through life just massively overcompensating for a disability they have, whether it's, you know, something related to depression or anxiety or, you know, maybe epilepsy even, something that, you know, you don't have to tell people. And, you know, for myself, I I have... I can't hide from the fact that my computer screen is like massively blown up way bigger than other people's. And, you know, that idea of being a burden, that idea of not being enough is seen at being seen as defective. All that stigma, that ableism that exists, that's a big reason that a lot of people, they, they'll keep their disabilities hidden if they can. And it's so unfortunate because so many, if, if everyone who had a disability felt comfortable and there wasn't the stigma and they came out, there would be a lot more change that would happen since approximately a quarter of the U.S. adult population has a disability. I was recently listening to a podcast um, and it's called Opening Doors and it's put on by the Seattle cultural accessibility consortium. So, um, I know it's on SoundCloud and it's available in Apple podcasts. So, uh, they had four interviews. They have two seasons and this most recent one is where I'd heard this. And one of the the people interviewed had made the comment that, you know, we're living in two States. We're either pre-disabled or we're disabled because disability, anyone at any given point in their life, can enter into the population of being someone who has either a visible or invisible disability. 
And so if people were able to just like be upfront and not feel the shame, I think that that would be a huge push for equity uh, when it comes to disability rights and social justice. But unfortunately, ableism does exist. Um, And it exists in a lot of ways. And some of them are obvious and overt. And some of them are, they're sneaky. They're, They're really sneaky. I did feel incredibly vindicated though, because when I was preparing for this episode, one of the articles that I read, um, there was a section that talked about microaggressions and it listed off microaggressions for people with disabilities. And the second to last one said, I don't even think of you as having a disability. And I've mentioned previously that I had a situation where I had to confront someone who was a boss of mine and a very, very nice person too. I say this every time just because I don't want to vilify people. Like people, really nice people partake in microaggressions all the time. I know I've done it before. I've I've definitely done it, but it, it, you know, they're really small things. They're microaggressions. They're they're things that don't have a negative intent behind them, but they definitely make people feel othered and and on the outside of things and makes it feel like you know, whatever that, that piece of them, you know, whether it's a disability, whether it's their skin color, whether it's their gender, whether it's their, you know, their, their sexual identity, any of those things, it it makes them feel like they're, they're not part of the bigger conversation. Like you're, you're part of a smaller subgroup. You're, you're on the outside, but like, oh yeah, I forget that you're in that group because, you know, I like you or something like that. And so I felt very, um, vindicated, like reading that point, since I did have to confront my employer who used to say something very similar to that to me. And I was kind of like, you know, when you say that, like, I know you don't mean for it to, but it's considered a microaggression and it makes me, you know, I know what you mean by it, but it can also be meant that you, you know, oh, you forget that I'm that way because the, the wording was like, I forget that you're blind because I know how smart and capable you are was the phrasing that was used. And I had you explain that. And I know you're giving me the compliment that you think I'm smart and capable and that, but like my, my blindness, it doesn't have anything to do with that. There's plenty of people with a disability out there that they're smart and they're capable. Like they're geniuses. I mean, Stephen Hawking, was considered was considered to be a person with a disability and he was one of the, the greatest minds of our time like that is just a point in itself right there you know and there's there's stereotypes that are out there that have to go with with individuals with disabilities and ableism that's that's a component of ableism you know it's the idea that you know if someone's in a wheelchair that like it means that they could have a a mental um, deficiency as well. You know, they, they, they aren't all there. That's, that's not the case. You know, sometimes, sometimes there is a developmental disability as well, if you're in a wheelchair, but there are just, there are plenty of people out there where it's just their legs or their arms and legs just don't work. They, they got a spinal injury, something along those lines where something in life happened and 
they're still the same person. They're still smart. They're still incredibly capable. It's just now they get around in a wheelchair as opposed to getting around on two legs. And the idea that I, and it was interesting in this article, it said that a stereotype is that blind people are incredibly insightful. And I've definitely had moments where people make assumptions as to, oh, well, you're blind, therefore you must, like, I've had people saying like, oh, you must be like so insightful. You must be um, so innovative because you have to do things differently. And, you know, and, and guess and no, but I don't know if my blindness really has anything to do with those things. It's just me taking the time to reflect, you know? (laughs) So, but, you know, stereotypes, um, you know, just active discrimination, unconscious bias, you know, one, people who have disabilities, their unemployment rates are incredibly, incredibly high. And it's just because the way that our society works, it's, it's not very tolerant or hospitable to someone who has a disability. There is a lot of discrimination and judgment that goes on in the interview process. I mean, when you think about it, that makes sense. The, the, being interviewed, you're being judged. That's what's happening. You're being evaluated. And if people have preconceived notions around what someone who has a disability, regardless of whatever they answer during an interview or what their resume says about them, they'll they'll make they'll make assumptions as to what their capabilities are, what they can and can't do. And they may end up immediately writing someone off even before really asking the questions because there's a better candidate that the disability won't interfere. And some people, they think of this consciously and some people think of it unconsciously. That's the unconscious bias piece of it. So, you know, the discrimination there in the job market, it's incredibly high. And, and that's, that's definitely a part of ableism. You know, the, the eugenics movement that, that had happened in the past, that is one of the strongest examples. And it's, it's one of the most extreme examples, too, of ableism. You know, and for anyone not aware, eugenics is the idea of trying to perfect a human race, trying to honestly breed out deficiencies or imperfections. So um, you hear this and you probably immediately think of Nazi Germany and trying to create the master race. And yeah, yes, that's a very strong example of eugenics. Something that a lot of people don't keep in mind is the fact that the U.S. was one of the first places, if not the first, to really be taking a very serious look in the 1900s at eugenics and trying to create a better society of people. And they did this by um, sterilizing individuals with disabilities or quote-unquote undesirable traits to keep them from 
from um, being able to, to reproduce, whether they want to or not. So, you know, individuals who are in asylums, they were sterilized. Um, you know, if you were in a wheelchair or anything like that, you'd be sterilized. And a lot of these people, they were just locked away too when you had a disability back then, which is, it's really disgusting when you think back on it. Um, and it also applied to, I believe, I believe they referred to them as perverts and alcoholics. So, you know, if you were, if you were homosexual, then you could be sterilized. If you, um, in, if you, um, if you've seen the imitation game, that, that is, um, Britain, that's not the U.S., but um, the main guy in that is found out at one point to be gay, and he is, I believe, uh, hormonally, chemically sterilized um, so that he can't, he can't um, make more people like him because that was the goal. And yeah, like I said, it's a really extreme example of it, but it is. And I think that part of the problem with people learning about ableism is that they have these really strong, and it's the same thing with racism, really any ism, is that you have these really strong examples that you pull from, such as Nazi Germany and eugenics and, you know, the the sterilization of people and uh, the ugly laws, which were laws in place that if someone looked deformed, um, or, you know, was mentally disabled in a way where they weren't behaving what society deemed acceptable, that they, by law, like they could just be not allowed into places or asked to leave. Um, and it was legitimately called the ugly laws. It was the idea of like, if you weren't pleasant to look at or to deal with like we don't have to deal with you um there's a lot more like scholarly descriptions of it but that really is what it kind of boils down to you know and, and those are all really strong examples and people look back at that and they go well, we're not doing that just like when you think of racism it's like well no we don't you know slavery that's a thing of the past and you know we we don't have segregated um segregated seating in restaurants anymore you know we we don't have racism anymore it, but we do we do have racism still because you can see it in the 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 level of inequality and equity that exists within this country you know that there is a group of people that just based off of their skin color they don't have all the same opportunities and this, the deck is already stacked against them. And the same goes for individuals with disabilities that there are, there are protections in place now by law, you know, the ADA put it in place in 1990. And, and so like everyone's like, Oh, okay, well, you know, we've made a difference and yeah, we have, but the thing is, it's like the laws are in place, but society still needs to come a long way. And I, I took the time to write out a bunch of episodes that will be coming up through December and we'll dig into them. But 
there's lots of ways of it, such as, you know, how accessible different events and venues are, you know, are there assistive technologies that are available to people? With things going more remote, it definitely made it so that people are taking advantage of things like closed captioning and, um, and, and other things around Zoom and virtual meetings that they weren't commonplace before. Like the closed captioning piece was really not commonplace. And I'm really happy those changes have been made. But you know, it took a global pandemic for people to get the memo that this is what should be happening combined with, you know, outrage from society over, you know, the, the racial the racial injustice going on sparked by the the murder of George Floyd. And, you know, it takes all these things for it to get the attention that it deserves. And, you know, part of it too is like the, the idea and the importance that, you know, we need better childcare within the U.S. And this has been something that people have been saying for years now. You know, it, it, it's a big deterrent for for women being able to, you know, especially if they're single mothers, being able to pursue their career and do what they want if they can't find affordable, reliable childcare. But then we have a pandemic and everyone's at home with their kids. And now more of the load is being shared across both both spouses, you know, usually there's one person where like a lot of times it's the mother, but I don't want to discount same sex couples. So there's usually one person that like a lot of the child rearing may fall to and historically it falls to women. But now that a lot of it has fallen on men, Now we see a lot of changes and a lot of discussions happening that weren't happening before because it wasn't something that people were really having to think about. You know, um, I'm thankful for this time of reflection that it's given for people to think about it, um, everything. But, you know, those are here are all the things that we're talking about that like aren't great that that are ableism. So it's, you know, it's making a joke um, about someone because of their disability um, questioning someone's disability. You know, I talked about that in a recent podcast. I just don't understand why people even do that. You know, if there's, there's all the social stigma, there are people out there that do at times fake illness or disability. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but the likelihood of that happening when someone is coming forward and asking for accommodations, they are far, far, less likely to be making it up than like them just needing the accommodation. And, you know, by the principles of universal design, if you're able to provide them with those accommodations or you're able to change the way that the event is set up or the job is set up, it's, it's going to improve things for other people, not just that one person. So just give them what they need. Like, don't question it. Um, microaggressions are a part of it. The venues and events and other things, uh, services that are not accessible to people of all abilities, that's part of ableism. 
And of course, as I said before, the idea that people with disabilities need to be fixed, that's a huge part of ableism. So those are all the things that are negative about it. But you know, what are some things that can be done to improve society's take on people with disabilities? What can we do to combat ableism. It's been talked, you know, what what can be done to help with sexism? What can be done to help with racism? Very familiar with that, but not as much familiar with ableism. Well, number one, just educate yourself. Educate yourself on the fact of like, I'd say the variety of disabilities is important to know, as well as, you know, do some, do some testing yourself. Maybe put in some, some like earplugs for a day and see how hard it is for you to do things. And then you'd have an idea of like a hearing impairment, what would be involved with that. And I'd say, and I say this with the idea of you will get an idea and you'll get a taste for the experience of not having that ability. But if I, as I've said multiple times before, you won't get the the taste of what it is to be thought of and, you know, discriminated against. You know, you you may get that if you had access to a wheelchair and you were in a wheelchair for a day to see what that's like, or if you decided to use a cane and like made sure you weren't using your vision for an entire day, you could you could definitely feel some of those impacts there because then there'd be visual visual cues to the fact that you have a disability that people would be be picking up on. Um, so, you know, try to try to get a grasp for what other people try to, I guess, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Um, but at the same time, please don't do it where it's like, well, you know what? Like I rode around in a wheelchair for a day, so I know exactly what you're going through. No, no, you have more empathy, but you don't know exactly what they're going through. That's not the same. Like, let's check ourselves before we just overstep ourselves, okay? So, so you know, exercise that. Have conversations with kids. That's a huge thing. You know, make it so that's the norm, that it's not anything quote unquote weird that someone can't see, that they can't hear, that maybe they need to take a pill so that they feel more balanced inside or so that they're not as nervous. Um, those, those are all great ways because if you can normalize it with the younger generation, that's, that's when you really see big differences. If kids are just brought up thinking that like, oh, this is just, you know, people are different all kinds of different abilities. That's fine. doesn't mean that they can't do things. That's, that, that goes a huge way. Also, you know, challenging companies and your own company and organizations to make sure that you are putting on inclusive events, that you're, you're taking advantage of accommodations that can be made easily. And you're advertising, you're putting that out there that you're, you're reaching out to groups that honestly most of the time feel overlooked and don't think that they'll be thought of in the planning process. Um, and just, I'd say more than anything else, putting the person before the disability. It, I, I can't stress that enough. I, it really bothers me when people just put me in a box as like, 
you're blind or you're visually impaired. It bothers me almost as much, almost as when, as mentioned previously, when people question me identifying myself as a blind person and they're like, well, you can see some, you're not blind, blind. Oh God, we're not going to go down that again. But, you know, it's, you know, thinking, th- thinking of the whole person and not just that one thing, because everyone has something that makes them that like, in some ways, everyone's not at as good at something as someone else. And sometimes it's just like interpersonal relations. You know, some people aren't very good conversationalists, like they're not really good with social interactions. Sometimes people are really poor at just being able to put themselves in someone else's shoes. Sometimes people are just assholes. (laughs) They're just jerks. And that is, I consider, a huge deficiency. And, you know, but those are all socially accepted and they're fine. But, you know, if you have something that's considered to be quote unquote undesirable and not a normal difference such as like oh well it's normal for people to have different hair color but it's not normal for some people to be able to rely on their vision and others not that's that's where we can have issues I'd say just appreciate everyone for who they are and what they bring to the table and acknowledge if there's a disability, acknowledge it, but like, don't make it the focal point is a huge piece. There's a a whole section that I read too, but it's a whole different podcast around also the idea of, you know, you, you propping up someone who has a disability, um, who's done something amazing, you know, like climbing a blind man climbing Mount Everest was an example. And, um, you know, just thinking of the, like when you see those human interest piece where it's like they, they put a, a focused lens on the disability and it's kind of like this blind woman did this. And it's kind of like, you know, that accomplishment is impressive enough on its own. And that person just so happens to be blind. It doesn't necessarily need to be the headline of it. And those are all examples of ableism as well. Honestly, ableism in general, and this is why I'm so shocked that I didn't talk about this before. It's the entire reason I made this podcast. It's the entire reason. Because a lot of the people that I did come across that had amplified voices, it was that inspiration, rah, rah, you can do it too. And I'm just like, no, like, yes, you can do it, but also it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to like be a little bitchy because you know what? Everyone has those moments. And again, it's just before anything else, I'm a person and that's what I want people to know. I want them to hear that I'm relatable, that I'm like, I'm just like anyone else you would meet. It's just, 
I happen to have incredibly poor eyesight and it's out of my control. And so for me, I, I wanted to start this to really do some dismantling of ableism, both sharing what my experience is and just educating anyone if they're interested. You know, I, I don't want to sit here and act like I have all the answers. I 100% don't. If I had all the answers in the world, I'd probably have won the lotto and I would just be living out my days eating Belgium truffles. God, that sounds great, but I don't, <laughs> I don't have the answers. So ableism, don't do it. And there's, you know, you're likely are doing things that probably perpetuate it and just be aware and check yourself and check other people around you. That's the best that you can do. So um, the King County Disability Consortium, they put on a series that I've promoted before um, called Understanding Ableism, and they have another installment of that. If you're listening to this on Thursday, they have one going on Thursday. I believe it's at, it's either at 4 or 4.30 p.m. Pacific time. So I will put a link to the registration for that event um, on the Facebook page. So if you're interested in that, and those happen once a month, and it's at least going to be happening once a month through the rest of this year. So I'll also be sharing out a few other events that are going on from organizations I'm involved with if people are interested. So be good to make sure you join the community and join the Facebook page. But as always, just thank you so much for listening. I say it every time, but I really do mean it. Um, and if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and whatever platform you prefer listening to it on. Go ahead and leave a review five stars. If you like it, please. It definitely helps other people discover the podcast. Follow us on social media. We have the Facebook page that I mentioned, and we also have an Instagram account too at basically blind pod. And I'll see you next time. Bye.